This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 5.07. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. First up, we are revisiting a show that we did on Monday, looking at what's happening to Budget 2023, today with a parliamentary researcher. So just a quick recap. Uh, Last Friday, Budget 2023 was tabled in Parliament and then three days later, Parliament was dissolved, making way, as we all know, for GE15. So the tabling of the budget just days before Parliament was dissolved led to criticisms uh, by a lot of people who pointed out that it feels like a waste of time as well as it feels like an opportunity to table an election budget and one that was never really meant to be discussed, debated, passed properly. So on Monday we explored the question of what happens to Budget 2023, albeit more from an economic perspective and not so much in terms of Parliament, right? Mm. So when Parliament is supposed to see Budget come in again, what is going to happen next, when this is going to happen, uh, all of that are elements that we're hoping to explore today. Yeah, and you know, what are the processes or requirements when it comes to when absolutely does the budget have to be there? What does that mean in terms of uh, expenditure and financial Mm. decisions for our governance? So for what it's worth, yesterday the Ministry of Finance said that the tabling of the budget was not in vain because they are planning to retable it again after the GE. The Ministry also said that the budget could be an important policy reference for business and investment sectors to plan their next steps for the year ahead and so that the Ministry can share the various measures by the government to tackle short-term challenges. Uh, So again, that sense really of it currently being more of a guide or a uh, an indication of intent more than something concrete that's a nice way of saying promise yeah it is it is but i'm trying to trying to keep an open mind um but anyway that's what we're going to try and understand after this but let us know what are your thoughts do you have questions on this you can call us double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or whatsapp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. tweet us at bfm radio after this we'll be speaking with mahabalakrishnan parliamentary consultant and researcher so keep it here on the evening edition bfm 89.9 brainy fancy material bfm 89.9 it's 5.11. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. And we are discussing what happens now to Budget 2023. What should happen in terms of parliamentary process? So if you have questions, if you have thoughts, do send them through. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now is Maha Balakrishnan, parliamentary consultant and researcher. Maha, good to have you back with us. Hi, Bo. Thank you for having me. So Parliament was dissolved earlier this week, uh, just three days after Budget 2023 was tabled. And now the budget is up in the air until a new government is formed. What are the repercussions of this delay? So that's the uh, question that I'm really glad to have the opportunity to address today, because I don't think we've been paying close enough attention to it. Um, And that is what is the real world impact of postponing the Budget 2023 process? So there are two important reasons why elections in Malaysia are not usually or typically held at the end of the year. One reason and the most obvious one that the public is aware of and which we commonly discuss is the risks of the monsoon season. But there is a second reason and that's less discussed. Uh, Simply, I think, because um, the process is not as commonly uh, understood. 
And that is the national budget process. So a simple but fairly strict rule in our democratic process is that the budget must take place, the passing of the budget must take place by the end of the year for the subsequent year. Um, and a year-end election disrupts this process. In fact, I'd say it can completely derail the budget process. So I, I don't want to go into uh, too much detail on the budget process because it is complicated, but I think it's really important to un unpack some of the key elements of it for your listeners. There are two very important aspects for all of us to understand when it comes to the national budget. First is, when must the budget be passed? And secondly, what documents um, relating to the budget require to be passed by parliament? So the first point is timing. Now, um, across the world, there are numerous ways to pass a national budget. Many countries um, are required by their laws to pass their budget for the next financial year during the current financial year. Uh, some other countries actually pass their budget for a financial year at the beginning of that financial year. In Malaysia, our practice is uh, to pass the budget before the upcoming uh, financial year. Now, of course, we follow the calendar year. So what that means is that um, budget 2023, for example, has to be passed in 2022. Now, these are based on constitutional requirements. So based on articles 9900 and 104, uh, and also by extension, uh, specific provisions within the standing orders of the Dewan Rakyat as well. Now, of course, there are some urgency-based special provisions, even within the constitution, that can be unlocked to grant government access to expand public funds uh, before a budget for the subsequent year is passed. Yeah? So this is, for example, uh, Article 102, and that's what happened in 1999, which we'll come back to. Um, but even so, even when government wants to unlock the special provisions under Article 102, it still needs to go back to Parliament in the year before to get permission. Yeah. Now, um, what does this all mean for Malaysia? So we have to pass our budget in the year before, right? And how multiple administrations in Malaysia have construed these legal obligations is to only present the budget for the next year in November or October of the current year, right? And because there are also on top of that fixed timelines uh, within the standing orders, et cetera, for uh, various stages of the bill, the entire process of passing the budget simply in the day one rakyat can take about six to eight weeks. And then it needs to go to the day one agara. So, at the best of times, Malaysian governments cut it very close indeed when it comes to ensuring that it has all the permissions it needs in place to carry out its functions and activities at the beginning of the new year, right? So that's the first aspect, the deadline and timelines for passing the budget. The second aspect is the documents, right? Now, I think not many people perhaps are aware that budget papers uh, actually comprise different documents, um, and each of them play or serve an important function. Um, not all of them are legally or constitu uh, constitutionally required to be passed by parliament, uh, but they all play a role. And these budget documents can be further loosely divided into two groups. One is uh, budget papers in relation to um, how government plans to spend money. So these are like the ordinary estimates, development estimates, supply bill. And the second set are documents on how the government plans to get revenue to pay for all these expenditures, right? And 
these would include the finance bill, but also uh, the economic outlook, the physical outlook, which are all published by the government. So the at the end of the day, uh, what we have currently is um, that with the election coming midstream, as it were, in uh, Q4, Q3, Q4, um, the entire budget process now has been disrupted. Um, and the question now becomes, what happens? What happens after this election? And do we actually even have enough time uh, to pass uh, a budget for 2023? And, and really, what other steps can the government take uh, in the interim? So... Knowing that then, um, there have also been comments broadly about how the budget presented last Friday was in essence a waste of time, um, maybe even a waste of effort. Would you say this is true? Um, would it still be relevant? To some extent, yes, uh, it may be relevant, but I think to a large extent, not. And again, this is why it's really important to understand the budget documents in their component parts. So as I said earlier, you know, you can divide the budget documents into two subsets, uh, one relating to revenue generation and the other relating to expenditure. Now, if you look at the documents relating to revenue, right? So you have the finance bill and the finance bill really, in essence, is the government uh, wanting to make amendments to existing laws, either to increase or decrease our taxes, our duties and so on, you know, in, uh, revenue generating bills, if you will. Um, but within these documents, you also have uh, the finance, uh, the, sorry, the fiscal outlook as well as the economic outlook. Now, one could argue that the analyses in these documents um, will remain relevant, whether it's before or after GE15. Of course, the caveat here is that these analyses uh, would usually by now have been subjected to critical scrutiny by parliamentarians and pundits. Um, and we don't have that, right? So that process hasn't happened. But we can maybe accept that these documents may continue to be relevant post-GE15. But what about the budget documents relating to expenditure? This is where uh, I think we're likely to see uncertainty about whether they will continue to be applicable or otherwise. So these expenditure documents, uh, estimates as they are uh, as they are called, uh, cover what the government, the previous government now, uh, projected it would need to spend for operating and development uh, costs. Um, now, these documents are crucial because they need to be passed. Unlike the outlook documents that I spoke of, the estimates have to actually be passed line by line by parliament. So uh, before, before government can unlock uh, public funds to use towards those expenditures, yeah? Now, uh, these are the documents that I think are most likely to be subject to change because of whatever political outcome from G15, and not simply uh, depending on who wins the next election, but on how strongly they win it, right, on uh, the parties that then form the winning coalition and what their policy priorities and interests might be. So I guess the question is, what does happen to Budget 2023 now? Um, when and how does it get passed? You know, we can game this out, right? So so let's take a scenario. Let's say, for example, that the election is held in mid-November, right? So let's say for the purposes of discussion, the 12th of November. Uh, so best case scenario, best case scenario, we get a very clear outcome on election night. Uh, we know who wins, right? It's a clear win. Uh, so the prime minister can be identified and appointed. Uh, her cabinet can be formed and sworn. And let's say all of that takes a week. Right, which takes us roughly to the 18th of November, 
That leaves six weeks till the end of the year, 31st December. Six weeks for each ministry to review uh, the budget that it had submitted previously to see whether it's still relevant uh, or, or whether to come up with revisions and propose revisions. Six weeks for all these different parties within the ruling coalition uh, to negotiate allocations and to you know, uh, secure cabinet approval. Uh, and the same six weeks to present the budget papers to both houses of parliament and to get it passed. So there simply isn't enough time. So what's likely to happen, right? Uh, the likelihood is that the new government will have no choice but to use the urgency-based provisions in the constitution that I spoke about, um, at least to secure interim funding for the beginning of 2023 while it tries and irons out the kings for a proper 2023 budget. Uh, all of which means what we have ahead of us, the most likely scenario is political and economic messiness uh, you know, and likely attempts to shortcut and subvert, you know, the procedures in Parliament to try and truncate the process. Um, I mean, just look at the number of variables, right? Uh, dependent factors and conditions, even in the scenario that I just laid out, right? So based on that scenario, what we would need is a clear result on election night. Uh, we would we can't end up with a hung parliament if we did that changes things, right? Uh, or if we do end up with a hung parliament, then um, that it would take no time at all for the different uh, parties to cobble together a coalition agreement, right? Uh, that even with all of this in place, um, the PM of the day would be able to secure uh, enough MPs to get majority support for whatever interim budget uh, she wants to propose, um, so so it, it is going to be difficult, it's going to be challenging, and we are, I think what we have ahead of us ahead of us is a very fraught period. So given given that to be the case, until the budget for 2023 is passed, can the caretaker government unilaterally make calls for funding in the meantime? At this moment, I have seen nothing, no resolutions that have uh, come out or been proposed or passed by the day one rakia to give uh, any uh, uh, government, caretaker or otherwise, that such uh, such power uh, going into 2023. Uh, so something has to be passed in Parliament this year simply in order to turn the lights on in Putrajaya on the 1st of January 2023. So you mentioned uh, 1999, uh, which yes. was when under Dr. Tun M's tenure as PM, the parliament was dissolved not long after the budget was tabled. That was by then Finance Minister Tundaim Zainuddin. Talk to us about what happened and how did that play out for all parties involved? So uh, at that time, uh, the government, arguably, despite all the, the political upheavals and the crisis that was happening then in 1999, uh, arguably, Barisan National was still uh, in a far more secure position uh, then to come back into power uh, than what um, I think political scientists are projecting this round, right? Um, so one would assume that the budget that was tabled and um, uh, debated at least halfway through uh, before GE10 um, remained relevant, remained relevant. So so I think the, the work that needed to go into finalizing uh, a budget for 2000 was a little simpler. Even so, 
because of the uh, political, because of the legal process and the constitutional process that and the government's obligations to get parliamentary approval, they needed to unlock that special provision that I spoke of in the constitution under Article 102 to really get temporary funding for the government for the early part of 2000. Uh, while they ironed out the the process and you know went through the various legislative stages for a proper budget. Hypothetically speaking, if BN wins GE15, would the budget have to be retabled again? In other words, would we have to go through the rigmarole of the two-hour announcement and so on and so forth? Or Absolutely. Would it... Right. Okay. Absolutely. We nothing that was done previously uh, can uh, continues or can be adopted. Uh, into the next parliament. It's a new parliament. It's not even, you know, we're not talking about the same parliament in different sessions. It's an entirely new creature. So you mentioned earlier how constitutionally the budget should be passed by the end of the year. So if it ends up not being passed, does that mean that the government is in breach of the constitution? Does this mean that they'd be operating (laughs) without money? Technically, yes. (laughs) Technically, yes, there has to be a parliamentary session. Something has to be passed in that parliamentary session uh, this year in December, tail end November, um, uh, to allow government to do its business, just run its operating, uh, basic operations even. Uh, and I think what this means, and, and this is what I think we, we overlook, uh, that the sheer amount of work that goes into um, uh, putting the budget together. So we've talked about the process in Parliament, but the budget process where government is concerned starts early in the year. So much work is done. So much work needs to be done. So much consultation, different government departments feeding in, uh, so many uh, decision-making layers that need to be, to, to be gone through. Now, of course, I'm not saying that the same process needs to be undertaken uh, for Budget 2023. Some of what's already done uh, w- would be taken on board, right? Nevertheless, it still means that our civil servants will have to be working <laughs> throughout mm-hmm. November and December. Um, so I think at, at the very least, we may see some 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 leave uh, annual leaves being cancelled <laughs> and holiday plans <laughs> being changed. Maha, we have uh, about a minute left with you. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with as a final thought or message? Yes, uh, it's this. There is a reason that we don't normally routinely have uh, elections at the end of the year, and it is because we pass the budget at the end of the year. This is why um, the the first half of, of any year is the ideal time to have an election. Now, I'm not saying that this election ought to have been postponed to the first half of 2023, but it certainly could have been held in the first half of 2022. Uh, if indeed the political situation was such uh, that uh, it required that the parties go back to the electorate for a mandate. Maha, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you. We've been speaking with Maha Balakrishnan, parliamentary consultant and researcher, on the budget that was tabled specifically not passed, um, and trying to understand what that means as we move forward um, and what that means within the context of GE15. Let us know what are your thoughts on this. Um, you can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, we'll be back after this for your messages. Uh, and also for today on Twitter, where uh, quite an interesting topic is trending on who people would like to see as PM and 
specifically people saying perhaps a certain uh, former health minister, well, current health minister, might former current caretaker caretaker health minister thank you might perhaps be a game changer if nominated as pm so we'll be getting to that later keep it here on the evening edition bfm 89.9 You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.